0: Welcome to this week's message at Corner Bible Church. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like more information on our church, you could check us out at our website, cornerbiblechurch.com, or you can like or follow us on Facebook. Now here's this week's message. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. How is everyone doing today? Awesome, awesome. It's been a blessing already this morning, amen? I feel like you guys don't even need me up here today. That's awesome. Well, for those of you who don't know me, I am Pastor Davis. I am one of the teaching pastors here at Corner, and it's a blessing to be able to open up God's Word together today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please open them up. Uh, We're going to be in Luke chapter 13 this morning. Luke chapter 13, we'll be going through verses 1 through 9. 1 through 9. And as you're turning there, I want to give us a quick road map over where we're heading over the next six months in our teaching series here at the church. I know anytime there's a transition in ministry that we've been going through for the past couple months, is always, the next question is, what's next? Where are we heading? And maybe you've been wondering that question yourself. So I want to take a couple moments this morning as you're turning there to kind of walk through that. So we are going to be ending our Mosaic series through the book of Luke on Easter Sunday on April 9th. We only got a couple more weeks of the book of Luke left. Uh, I couldn't think of a much better way to end uh, the book of Luke than with the resurrection of Jesus. That seems on theme. So uh, that worked out really perfect. But if you look at your calendars there, you're going to notice that there are three weeks left in April. And what we're going to do with those three weeks in April is we're going to run a mini-series before we jump into our next main teaching series, which will go throughout the summer. So we are going to make a return back to one of our favorite series, Asking for a Friend. So if you are new with us and you haven't been to Asking for a Friend before, you haven't seen that, what we do during that series is we take a bunch of congregation-submitted questions, and we have like a panel-style discussion up here, and we answer them up here. We have like a moderator. It's a really fun time. It's one of my favorite things we do here at the church. Hopefully, we're going to do that once a year. So in order to do that series, though, uh, we need to have questions. So, if you have questions that you would like to talk through, it's one of the reasons why we do this series is I can't think of a much safer place to work through our doubts or answer our questions than here at the church. Like that should be the safest place, excuse me, safest place for us to be able to work through these things together. So, if you have questions, you can please send those in. I've got a few emails already from some of you, so thank you for sending those in. But you can submit a question in a few different ways. You can either, uh, there's an email on the screen here. It will be right here. You can email cbcascaquestion at gmail.com. You can email us there. Uh, You can come talk to myself or any of the elders, any elders in here this morning. Raise your hand if you're an elder this morning. You can talk to one of the elders. They would love to take your question as well. In case you don't like me, that's okay if you don't. You can talk to them or if you'd like to be totally anonymous, you're like, I don't want anyone to know I have this question. Uh, that's totally fine too. What you could do is you could write it on a piece of paper and you could put it in one of those black mailboxes at the rear of the sanctuary. When the deacons count the tithes and stuff, they will get those, that slip to me. So um, yeah, just put, fill those questions out. And that'll get us through the end of April. And what we're going to do in May is we're going to transition to our summer teaching series that will take us through the end of August. And I'll tell you what, I am like super, super pumped about this series we will be starting in May. Um, Something as I've been talking to a lot of people in our congregation in other congregations or people in general, I get a lot of common themes with people right now. Some people I talk to, I ask them how things are going and they'll say, Davis, things are really discouraging right now. Life is just not good right now. Or other people I talk to, are they look at what's going on in the world right now, and they're like, Davis, I'm really discouraged by what I see happening overseas or what I see happening in our country. Or some people I talk to are like, Davis, I'm trying to read God's Word right now. I'm trying to get into God's Word right now, and I'm just not getting anything out of it. My Christianity feels like a ritual right now. Anybody been there before? I've been there plenty of times. And as I've been praying through all these conversations I've been having with people, the thing the Lord keeps bringing up to me is, "Davis, show them where joy comes from. Where does joy come from? We need joy." And as we've been, as we've been, uh, I've been praying through this. God's led me over to the book of Philippians. So starting in May, we're going to do a series called "The Pursuit of Joy," and we're going to be walking through the book of Philippians together as a body. And talking about what does joy look like, how do we pursue joy, and how do we have joy in the midst of very difficult circumstances. So I'm really pumped about this series. I've been reading Philippians about three times a week, so i got to move on because I'm going to start Philippians right now. So we are going to move on from that for now, but we're going to jump right back into Luke as we finish up that series. So look back down at your text here in Luke 13. If you're a note-taker, the title of today's message is called Repentance is key. Here's what Jesus says here. There were some present at that time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were any worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were any worse offenders than all others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, all, you will all likewise perish. And Jesus told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking the fruit, but he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Let's pray real quick. Father we want to thank you for your word. I thank you for this morning you've given us. I thank you for your truths you've already reminded us of already this morning. Father, I pray for us as we approach uh, your word right now. Remind us who you are. Help us see who we are in light of you. And point us back to your son that speaks a better word than any of our sin. And remind us of the grace that You've given us in Your Son. In Your name we pray. Amen. So over the past several weeks, Jesus has been going around and talking about the Gospel. He's been talking about a kingdom. And this kingdom He's talking about is not a kingdom that is focused on outward things. It's not a kingdom that's focused out on just changing people's outward circumstances. It's not just focused on changing people's outward uh, things that are going on in their life, but it's focused on inward change. It's focused on inward transformation. Or as he says in another passage, cleaning the inside of the cup so that the outside of the cup may be clean. And the other thing about the Gospel that he keeps talking about is that this kingdom that is coming that he is bringing is not a kingdom only for the religious elite. It's not just for the people who have been uh, trying really hard or trying to be really good, but it's for the downcast. It's for the people who are at the bottom of the socioeconomic totem pole. It's for the Roman soldiers that were oppressing the Jewish people. It's it's for the tax collectors. It's for the prostitutes. It's for anyone that will come. That's what he's talking about. And what happens is as Jesus is going around talking about this kingdom and he's talking about this Gospel, the religious elite get incredibly offended. Because honestly, when they look at the world around them and they see all these other people that Jesus said were going to be involved in the kingdom, they were like, we are way better than all of these people. These guys don't deserve it. These guys don't need to be here. It's for us. They didn't feel like they belonged in the clique. People like the Romans, the Samaritans, the tax collectors specifically in this instance, as you look down at your text again, they bring up to Jesus a group of people known as the Galileans. Take a look down at your text there. He says, They were there some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He brings up these they bring up these group of people to Jesus and um, we need a brief uh, history lesson here to understand why they're bringing these people up is not just like a random person they saw on the street or not but there's actually some cultural things happening here See, about 700 years before Jesus came on the scene, there was a kingdom known as the Assyrian Empire. Anyone ever hear of the Assyrians before? They were some bad dudes. They were really bad. They were really violent. They were very brutal. And what happened in around 722 B.C., uh, the Assyrians came in, laid siege to Israel, and conquered it. And they carried a bunch of the Jewish people all the way back to Assyria. One of those groups that they took back with them was the people In Galilee, so they took them out into exile. They FedExed them all the way back, and what happened? They were there for a long time, worth like 150 years or so, depending on the scholar you talk to. A long time. And what happened while they were in there was there was all of these foreign immigrants of neighbors of Israel. They Moved into Galilee, like kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears style. They came out and like, "There's all these farms that are open. We'll just move in, right?" And they just moved in. So all of a sudden, when God frees his people out of Assyria and he brings them back into the land, they come back home, like, going to Grandpa's farm, and they're like, "It's already taken up. People moved in while we've been gone. They've been tilling the land. They've been doing all these things in the land. And what they did when they came back was they intermarried." They just blended cultures, and now while God didn't state anything explicitly about not doing that, what ended up happening was all the other Jewish people around them looked heavily down on them for it. In fact, if you fast forward five hundred or five hundred years back up to Jesus' present day, where he's talking here, there was a lot of assumptions people made about people from Galilee. They weren't pure. They weren't real Jews. They were uneducated. They were less. They weren't good enough. They weren't good enough. The other thing that was, uh, the Galileans had a reputation for was getting caught up in the protests and the uprisings against the Romans. What they would do is they'd, they'd, they'd come into a protest against the Romans. They'd take it from zero to a hundred and it'd all of a sudden turn violent. And the Romans would come in and make life difficult, not only for the Galileans, but all the other Jewish people around it. So there was bitterness over that. And jumping back into our text where we were this morning here, when he talks about these Galileans who were on the Temple Mount, they think was what happened is this, that there was a group of Galileans that came to offer sacrifices, which is normal under the Jewish law code. And when they got into the Temple Mount, there was some kind of protest going on against the Romans. And they joined into it. It went from zero to a hundred. And Pilate, who we'll see in a couple of weeks, who's the governor of the area, he sends Roman soldiers in and slaughters everyone. Right on the Temple Mount, and not only that, he slaughters the people, but he also slaughters the sacrifices that they were going to offer. And all of a sudden, the blood of animals and the blood of Galileans blends together to make this abomination on the Temple Mount. And what the, they are saying, the Jewish leaders are saying to Jesus here, is they are saying, "What you take talking about this kingdom that's for all people." You keep talking about this kingdom that's going to be open to all people. What about those people? What about those guys who made, made us the laughing stock? What about those people who are just these awful people? Obviously, uh, God was judging them because of how they died. See, back in this day, the Jewish people believed if you died in a horrific way, it was because God was judging you, because God wouldn't let a bad thing happen to a good person. They didn't have the understanding that because of uh, the sin in the world, that bad things happen. And what they did was they used this as a license to live in, judge, in judgment of other people and take pride in themselves. And what Jesus does in this opportunity here is he points out that we are all the same. Look at your text here again. He says, do you think that these Galileans were any worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He uses another example right in the next verse. He says, look at those people, those 18 people who died in that tower when it fell down in Siloam. Were they any worse than all the other people who lived in Jerusalem? No. But unless you repent... We will all likewise perish. See what Jesus tells them here is is He he asks the question why are you getting caught up in someone else's sin and someone else's stuff when you haven't dealt with your own stuff? When you haven't dealt with your own sin. See, what Jesus says here is that the kingdom is not going to go to the people who are only focused on what other people have done wrong. It's going to go to the people who look at themselves and they repent. The kingdom is going to go to the people who are repentant over their own sin. And what I want to do with my two minutes that I have remaining is I want to talk about the three aspects of what a repentant heart looks like in this passage. The first one is that Jesus says here is a repentant heart focuses on our own sin rather than the sin of other people. Jesus says, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He said he calls them to stop judging other people and deal with your own sin. He says, Deal with the sin in your heart. And church, I I don't think I need a giant punchline here. Over the past like 2,000 years, we as Christians haven't been known as the most grace filled people in the world. We haven't been known as the most forgiving people in the world. In fact, how many of you have ever heard the stereotype that Christians are judgmental before? Any of you heard that stereotype? I've heard of that stereotype. Anybody you ever felt judged by another Christian before? My hand will be raised on that one. Any of you have been the judgy Christian before? Okay, honest people, I like that, cool. <laughs> We've all been there. Because The truth is, as culture changes, clothing styles change, everything about our culture changes, the truth is the heart of people don't change. The heart of man has not changed. We're sinful people. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. We have a tendency to be critical of other people's sin while we make excuses for our own sin. And what Jesus makes a point here to say is he's not saying that the sins of other people aren't important. Or that the sins of other people when they hurt us uh, that that it shouldn't hurt us or that it shouldn't uh, be painful. But what he is saying is that the sin that should offend you the most is your own sin. And church, a really practical question we have to ask ourselves here. If you want to ask the question, am I a repentant person or am I not a repentant person? Ask this practical question. Whose sin are you more offended by? Yours or the people around you? Yours or when your spouse sins against you? Yours when your co-worker sins against you? When a family member sins against you? Because I'll tell you what, often the case, we often get more offended by the, our other people's sin than our own sin, don't we? I've totally been there. And that first aspect of a repentant heart is that we realize that our sin is more offensive than other people's sin. Second aspect is this, that it realizes that we are able to show grace to other people because we are all in need of grace. If you look at that passage again, Jesus is saying that every person is in need of repentance what I love about this passage here is he doesn't just pick on the religious leaders. If you look at a lot of parts of the Gospels, he only picks on the religious leaders. Here he does, and take a look at your text, he says, does, 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 uh, were these Galileans that died in this horrific way, were they any worse than all the other Galileans? No, they're all the same. Were those people in Siloam that died, were they worse than any other person in Jerusalem? No, we're all the same. He says we all need repentance. Religious leaders, tax collectors, prostitutes, Galileans, people here at Corner, Alleghen, Fenville, we all need repentance. We're all in need of grace. In fact, in the book of Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned. All have fallen short of God's glory. I looked up all in the Greek. You know what all means? All, every person. <laughs> that was that was that was yeah, that was rhetorical. What I like about this verse here too is that there's no qualifiers. There's no qualifiers on which sin is worse or who has the worst sin or who has the less sin. What this passage is saying, what Jesus is getting at as well is all sin separates you from God. Some sins have more physical consequences than others. But all sin separates you from God. You are just as much in need of grace as the worst person in your mind. You are just as much in need of grace as the worst person you can think of. We all need the gospel. And what Jesus is saying is because you have received grace from God, if you accepted Christ as your Savior, you've accepted that forgiveness of God, you are able to extend grace to your brother, to that co-worker. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say that coworker? To your spouse, to your boss? To your friends, to your family, because deep down, you are just as much in need of grace as they are. Before a holy God, we all stand guilty. All of us. That's why the gospel is the gospel. That's the exact point he's making here. He's not imploring the people that are around him to say, hey, I need you guys to start trying a little bit harder. I need you guys to uh, start reading your Bibles more. I need you guys to start uh, tithing more. We're going to church more. Or doing all of these other things. He says you can't fix you. You can't. You can try. But you can't fix you. He says, I have to fix you. We are totally dependent on God to change us. The religious leaders in this text thought they were all that because of how churched up they were. And Jesus says it's not enough. See, it's impossible for a repentant person to sit in judgment of another person because you have sat in the same pits of sin that everyone else has sat in. And you are just as dependent on God to get you out. Church, I have sat in the pits of the shame of lust. I have sat in the pits of offense and bitterness. I've sat in the pits of rage. I've, sit in, I've sat in the pits of worry. I've sat in the pits of belief, unbelief. And I'll tell you, I wasn't able to get out of the pit of the shame of lust because I had the willpower or I cracked the code on how to break a pornography or any of those things. I got out because God came and He said, Davis, I've covered your shame. It's covered by my blood. You're free. Get out of that thing. I wasn't able to get out of the pit of offense and bitterness because those people finally came to me and said, Davis, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I got out because the God I offended said, Davis, I forgive you when I didn't even ask for it. I've been able to get out of pits of worry not because I can control my situations and I can just do awesome things, but because the God who holds the universe, who holds the stars and the rivers and the mountains and all the train cars that keep derailing and all the nuclear missiles and all the world leaders says, Davis, I got this. You don't have to worry about this. I've been able to get out of pits of unbelief not because I'm super smart or I've been able to figure out everything but because God says I became touchable. I became human. You can seek me. You can touch me. You can find me. Seek me. I've been able to get out of pits of rage not because I was able to go tell those people everything that was on my mind I wanted to say but because the God whose wrath was once on me poured it out on his son. And he said, Davis, I love you. The only way any change has ever happened in my life was because Jesus died on the cross for me. And he forgave me. See, by asking people to repent here, he's not asking people to just sit down and feel bad about themselves. When I I grew up in the church, uh, I, I grew up in a, a conservative Baptist environment, and when we talked about repentance, sometimes it felt like, I don't think this was their intention, but sometimes it felt like they were just asking me to sit down and feel really sad about myself. That's not what he's saying. Yes, there's mourning. But he's saying, get up, there's new life here. He's saying, get up, I'm going to change you. He says, Get up. I am going to give you freedom. What Jesus is talking about here is he's calling them to freedom. Church, he's calling you to freedom. He says, Stop carrying these things. Turn around. Experience healing. If you're in here this morning, you've never welcomed Christ in your life. He he welcomes you. He says, turn around from these things. Follow after me. Believe in me. It's here for you. Or maybe you're a believer in here this morning. You've been wrestling through a sin issue. You found yourself falling back into one of those pits. How many of you have fallen back into a pit after becoming a believer before? Okay, a lot of us. I've been there. He says, repent. Get out of it. You're free. Experience healing. Finally, the final aspect is a repentant heart is the only way to effectively reach your community. Take a look back down at your text. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit and found none. None. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. See, fig trees bear fruit annually. It's not all year round. It's annually. And every year when these farmers kept coming to this fig tree, it would never produce anything. They took care of it. They would do all these things, but the rain would fall on it. They took care of the weeds. They nurtured it, but it wouldn't grow. And they finally decided if it doesn't bear fruit in the next year, it's going to be cut down. And Jesus here doesn't tell us the end of the story. He doesn't tell us if the farmers come the next year and find fruit on it or they don't find fruit on it. Because the reality is, the people he's talking to, their story was still unwritten. They had the opportunity. Jesus giving them the opportunity to repent. History tells us they didn't. History tells us they didn't. In AD. 70, the Romans came in and they totally crushed Jerusalem. They wiped it out. They did not join in the story that God was telling. They did not live a life that was repentant. And the question we have to ask ourselves as a church is will we be a people who are repentant? We talk a lot here about love, reach, disciple. It's kind of our tagline. It's a great tagline. And over the next several months, we're going to talk about some practical ways that we are going to be stepping into that tagline of love, reach, and disciple. But that will only happen. We can only effectively reach our community. We can only love, reach, and disciple our community if we're a grace-filled people. For a people that doesn't look at others down on other people's sin while we hold to our own. We will never reach a community if we're, if we're like that. A big topic right now in our culture is revival. And it's awesome. We see some really cool things happen across our country. But I'll say revival isn't doesn't always start with just singing together. That's not, the com- that's not the completion of revival. Revival starts individually. Revival starts with personal repentance. Revival starts when we realize that our, the biggest problem in the world is not other people, but it's the war that happens in us, that it's our sin. No longer looking at our neighbors in judgment and self-righteous, but looking at our own sin. Church, as we close here, will we be the church? Will we be the church that rejects our sin? Will we be the church that looks at ourselves the way Christ looks at us as treasured children of God and calling the people He wants to be in His family? Or will we live in judgment? Which one will we be? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you today for your word. I thank you that you are a God who calls us to yourself. I pray, Lord, as we leave from here, that this is just not another thought, but that we run to you. That you reveal the areas where we're self-righteous. Righteous. To reveal the areas of sin that we hold close. And we walk in your ways. We walk as your children. And Father, we just want to thank you for this day. In your name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message here at Corner Bible Church. If you would like more audio resources, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, or you can go online and visit us on our webpage at cornerbiblechurch.com.